Good evening, my saints and my friends. Blessings to you. Welcome to Bible Study Live, in-house and online, together again. We used to sing a song years ago, say, we're together again, praising the Lord. We're together again on one accord. So we're together again to study the Bible, to go deeper into a Sunday sermon. And we are always grateful to do that and always blessed to be able to uh, partake and break the word of God together. So let's bow our heads and then let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you. We appreciate you for your hand in our lives. God, we thank you for your word that stabilizes us, that is forever settled in heaven and is established in the earth. And you're allowing us to establish your word in the earth. And so we thank you for that. We believe in your word. We know faith comes by your word. And God, we understand that the studying of your word helps us and benefits us and produces fruit in our lives that will be a blessing to us. And we thank you for it. We ask that you would do the same thing. Illuminate us as we study, as we listen, as we hear, as we read, as we pontificate that your anointing would fall. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Having said that, we're going to start with a passage of scripture. Uh, we read this passage of scripture on Sunday, so we'll just start by reading that straight through. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, which means crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we simply talked about Sunday, King of Kings. And um, the first thing we, we did was define uh king, and I, I really found this interesting. So it says the male ruler of an independent state. Uh, it's not that a woman can't be king, but just normally in English language, the, uh, the leader of uh, a group, an independent state, is known as a queen. So uh, this king is referencing queens as well. A king's a male ruler of an independent state, especially one who inherits the position by right of birth. So when you're dealing with what we call a monarchy, it is bestowed upon you by birth. You have a right to the kingdom through birth. And that is something for us to remember. We're going to come back to that just momentarily. So the first thing we did is uh, let you in privy on some of uh, what I've been reading uh, this year. Now, uh, I don't always read Christian books. I read a lot of biographies. I read a lot of things that are sometimes secular, not necessarily Christian. I think it makes me well-rounded, well uh, so I'm not always in Christian books. But when, I'm, when I've read a few uh, things that are quote-unquote uh, secular, I don't like to have too much of that without getting in some extra study to the Word of God beyond my own reading of the Word of God. 
because I need to be illuminated by outside voices. If it's all coming from me, that's problematic. So I reach the things that are deeper than me, higher than me. And someone that I uh, have been enjoying lately is an author called N.T. Wright. He's a scholar. Uh, he's actually a New Testament scholar. It's interesting that his name is N.T., and he's actually an N.T. scholar, New Testament scholar. And he's very, very deep. So the first book I read from him was called Surprised by Hope, and it really deals with the resurrection, which really shifted the way I thought about the afterlife more than just heaven, that the resurrection is important. So Surprised by Hope is a very powerful book. But then in January, I picked up this book, and it was called How God Became King by N.T. Wright. And then the tagline is The Forgotten Story of the Gospels. That uh, intrigued me because uh, most people who study the Bible, read the Bible, even churchgoers or Christians who have been around for a while, you feel like you know the story of the Gospels. It is the story of Jesus coming to earth and going to the cross to save us for our sins. That is the gospel. But he began to add that there is a forgotten story hidden within the gospels. It's true that all those things are true, that God is about our salvation. That's why Jesus came. But he said the story that we've forgotten is that he actually came to become king. And when we look at that, and actually I think I'm going to go backwards a little to uh, pick this back up. When we look at that uh, definition, um, especially one who inherits the position by right of birth. So the moment that Jesus was born into the earth, he actually came right then as king. But his kingdom was different from natural kingdoms because his kingdom was a kingdom of suffering and serving. It's a kingdom of power, but it starts off with suffering and serving and sacrifice and giving. And that's the forgotten story because he didn't just come to save us from our sins. He actually came to take over the earth because the earth was given up by Adam and Eve and their sin. It was given up to Satan. And even Paul, in his writing, called Satan the god of this world or the god of this world system. So God became king in the story of the Gospels through Jesus, but his kingdom was not a kingdom that was physical. It was a spiritual kingdom. But the goal of the spiritual kingdom is that the kingdom would come in relationship with the image bearers of God, which humans were supposed to be the image bearers of God. It's known as Imago Dei, the image of God. And so the goal was to come into earth and inspire and deliver those who are in the image of God and then have them possess the kingdom. But he was going to possess it through sacrifice, which is, which is different. But the whole idea of overthrowing the kingdoms of this world, he was going to do it first through sacrifice. And he was going to use the one who did the tricking. He was going to use them to do it, which was Satan and his cohorts. And the scripture says if they knew who he was or they knew what they were doing, they would never crucify the Lord of glory. They were actually ushering him into his kingdom when they crucified him, when they put him on the cross. And so N.T. Wright talks about 
that often in uh, Western churches, the focus is the cross. So there's nothing wrong with the cross. But he said the focus should be the cross and kingdom instead of some people it's either cross or kingdom or it's just all cross. And they think that the idea is just for us all to go to heaven. But there is going to be a return. So it's not just uh, us going to heaven because he's returning with his bride for his kingdom. That the moment he showed up, the kingdom came into the earth and it began to grow. We talked about this a few weeks ago that Daniel speaks of it as a small pebble coming into the earth, but growing to become a huge mountain. And that's what is really happening with us as we're going through life. We are actually possessing the kingdom. We are actually building the kingdom, but the kingdom is not made with power, money, domination, laws. The kingdom is made through love, through faith, through joy. And what is happening is Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of this world are shifting and losing power, and the kingdom of God is growing, but it's growing through us because it's cross and kingdom. And through the cross, he empowered us to embrace the kingdom, to live out the kingdom, to cause his kingdom to come. And he actually told his disciples when they asked them to teach him how to pray, he began to tell them things. And one of the main things he said, he said, pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we want heaven to become a extension. Excuse me. We want earth to become an extension of heaven. That was always the goal. The Bible says that heaven is God's throne, the earth is his footstool. If you've ever been in a furniture store, they usually have a chair and an ottoman. And the chair and the ottoman are not in opposite colors, opposite styles. It's not like the, the chair is in leather and the ottoman is in plastic because it's a piece that goes together. Now, you don't always have to buy them together. You can buy the chair without the ottoman, but they are a piece that were designed to work together. So heaven and earth was designed to work together. But when Adam and Eve messed up, it's like it messed up his footstool. It messed up the ottoman and it stripped it. It turned it from what it was uh, into something different. So let's give an example. Let's say we have a leather chair and you have a leather ottoman. Somebody comes and spills uh, green paint all over the ottoman. Well, it's going to take a while for that to get fixed to look back like the original. That's what Jesus was doing. He's trying to take it and make it look back like the original. So if we forget about the Ottoman, which is the earth, if we forget about his footstool, then and always just want to go to the chair, we're missing that it was designed to be a package deal from the beginning. Because the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It was a package. It was created together. So when we realize that, we realize that what we're doing now in the earth is not just waiting heaven, it is actually important. What we do is important. Going to church is actually important, not just for our own personal uh, health and our personal salvation. Well, hey, I need to go to church so I can get this flesh under control. Well, that's one reason, but that's not the only reason. Because when we worship from the church and when we love and when we preach the word and when we encourage each other, we are actually building the kingdom. We are actually advancing the kingdom. And so what God is uh, designing and desiring to happen, we are actually doing it. So we have to remember that the gospel stories doesn't just secure our salvation. It actually is building the kingdom. And he showed it 
how he did it. One of the things, the first things he did, he was forceful against religious people. He was forceful against religious ideas. He was forceful against religious laws. He was forceful against the other kingdoms of the world. But he was very kind to the sinner, to the broken, to the downtrodden, to the, the ones who were hurt, to even the tax collectors who, who were not necessarily broken. They were, they had really, they were sellouts. And God found, he found a way through his love to turn those people around and raise them up. And then the scripture talks about how that uh, these are ignorant and unlearned men. After Jesus uh, is on, he's ascended. And you see in the book of Acts, Peter and John doing amazing things. And the kingdoms of this world or the people in the religious system and the political system, they're like, these are ignorant men. These are, they're, they're unlearned men. How are they doing these things? And the only answer was what they've been with Jesus. So the goal is that when we spend time with Jesus, we advance the kingdom. So having said that, which I, I gave you a whole lot more than I gave on Sunday, having said that, let's look at this uh, thing that I wrote. What does kingship look like in our 21st century context? How do we recognize and participate in the kingdom when we grew up in a democracy? So the fact that we grow up in a system that it is a majority rule system where you get a bunch of ideas together, and there's nothing wrong with the democratic process. You, uh, there's checks and balances in the democratic process, and that's good just in case you get a horrible king who is a, a dictator and a monarch and his way is the highway and his way goes in case he's all messed up, a democratic process brings checks and balances. So there's nothing wrong with the democracy per se, except for the fact that it robs us who've lived in a democracy of the idea of a kingship, especially an excellent king. When you have an excellent king who rules in excellency, then every decision that the king makes, it affects everybody in the kingdom. The kingdom is everything the king has dominion over, is everything under his domain. And so when we think of life, sometimes we forget that God as king has laid everything out. He has everything thought out because he is king of kings. He is the supreme being. He's top dog. He, not only is he king, but he's CEO. He's the one who created the universe. He knows everything. And so the idea that we're getting back to a kingdom where he is the rule and he is the top authority, then what is, it does, it gives us a glimpse of what the future will be like. Not just the future in heaven, but what the future of heaven and earth will be like because there won't be any flesh to deal with. Because the flesh won't have to be able to stand against his kingdom. Right now, we have to deal with the flesh, work through the flesh. We have to subject the flesh. And that's what the cross is about. The Bible says that we take up our cross and follow him. So that's what the cross is about. But there's coming a time where that cross is not needed. It will be the kingdom. Our flesh won't be an issue. And not just in heaven, but both heaven and earth, the kingdom. So as we begin to think about it, it, what it does is start giving us a little more confidence now because we're understanding that at the end of the day, the king of kings chose me and he chose you. Of all the people that he could use in his kingdom, he has chosen us. 
Now, understanding the cross, we know we're nothing. But the cross says that, okay, I know you're nothing as well. So I'm going to pay the price for your nothingness. I'm going to cleanse you from your nothingness. And I'm not just going to take you to heaven, which I am. You're going to have access to heaven. But I'm also right now in earth, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to actually allow you to start establishing things on earth now. And some of the things that's going to happen after the world changes and shifts and there's a heaven and earth are going to be some of the things you did right now in the midst of demonic oppression, in the midst of the flesh, in the midst of all these things. And this isn't scripture, but a songwriter said this, only what you do for Christ is going to last. So we are building things now that are going to mean something in the future. Now, all that it means, I don't know. I don't know all that the age to come, the world to come is going to look like. But I do believe that we are building something now. Deliverance Temple, we are building something now for later. And so we, what it should do is should give us some confidence that God is using us now even for the future. So it leads me to this point. We must study the Bible not as our one-way ticket to heaven, but as the promise of a kingdom here on earth, both, it's, it's not either or, it's both. It's heaven and the kingdom here on earth. And how we process it now determines how much of it we will experience later. So the point of that statement is, if we don't understand the kingdom now, then we're not just going to uh, get to heaven and be uh, have access to the kingdom then. We're going to have to, and, and I, I should have done, taken the time to do it. I just didn't have time. There's scriptures that suggest that there are people who, because of the way they lived on earth, they will make it to heaven, but they will be in a learning stage. The Bible talks about crowns, that you receive a crown. If you do such and such things on earth, in heaven you receive crowns, or you will be crowned with this, that, and the other. So not everybody that makes it to heaven is going to be on the same level. And some people are going to have to still be learning what they should have learned on earth. They're going to have to be learning it there. But there's other people who have already learned it on earth. And so when they cross over into heaven, they're going to have authority both in heaven and earth. Now, this is just my opinion, so don't hold me to that. But I believe that what I'm studying is that there are going to be people who make it to heaven, but they don't have access with heaven and earth. They'll be glad that they made it in, but they won't have authority. They won't have rulership. They won't have, they, they will learn and know that, yes, I made it, but I could have done more in the earth and I would be experiencing more now. A story that I've uh, told often, and I'll tell it again, that really impacted me is when my uh, cousin died at 40 years old. And I was able to lead him to the Lord three months before. Well, well, not just me. Actually, his wife did. I actually led him through the prayer. But I, I would give him scriptures every day. And he finally made that turn and decided he wanted to give his heart to the Lord. And he, he was a well-studied person. So he knew about God. He just didn't quite feel like it was for him. But at the end of his life, we didn't know it was the end of his life the end of his life, he gives his life to the Lord three months before he dies. And so it took a while before I had a dream about him, but I did have a dream. And the dream was uh, a scene of him 
and my, me and my siblings, and he was standing on my mother's porch, and we were just talking. And he had his head down, and he's shaking his head in a, in a sadness. And when I first was dreaming it, I thought that meant he didn't make it. And then when he opened his mouth, he said, it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. And then he began to tell about one particular place that was just full of glass. He's like, everything's glass. It's crystal. He was just describing it. But there wasn't a lot of joy in his describing. He was shaking his head as he was describing it. And finally, a voice speaks up. I didn't see them, but I heard it. And it was my voice of my, it was the voice of my sister, Kelly. And she uh, asked him, said, but why are you so sad? And he just said, he said, I should have done this a long time ago. I should have done this a long time ago. And then the scene shifted and somebody asked, is there rap in heaven? And he smiled and chuckled. He's like, yes, there's rap in heaven because he, he loved rap. And then I woke up and it, it blessed me because, uh, okay, I believe he, he made it, but that thought that there was some regret that, yes, I made it in, but I shouldn't have waited to the last three months of my life. I should have done this a long time ago. And so it seemed to suggest in the dream that, that there was more I could be experiencing in the heaven experience had I done some things here on earth. So don't take for granted what you're doing and how you're giving over to God and how you are sometimes uh, abstaining from things and fighting things back and, and people you could have gone off on. You're choosing not to and you're choosing to let the... the uh, spirit growing you. You choose and allow the fruit of the spirit to grow in you. You're coming to church services that you don't necessarily need to come to church. You don't have to come to church to be a Christian, but because you connect with your creator continually, you want to come. You actually want to be in the house of God. You actually want to praise God. And then there's those who go a step further. I actually want to be in Bible study. I actually want to tune in to the midweek service. I want more. I'm actually going to listen to the service again. Don't think you're just wasting time. You're actually building and you're part of the kingdom. And the rewards will be different, if not greater. They'll be different than the people who are just fringe. There are a lot of people who are going to make it in that are just fringe Christians. They believe in God. But that's about as far as they go. There's no real appetite for God. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they're the ones who are going to be filled. So it could be those who don't have the same hunger and don't have the same thirst. And so they'll get something, but they won't be filled. And so we want to be filled and filled to overflowing. So I'm, I'm going deep, but of course, this is a Bible study class. I can do that. So let's look at uh, this verse, this next verse, Isaiah I mean, not Isaiah, but Luke 17, 20 and 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. So the Pharisees, they knew something about the kingdom of God, but because they were so religious and so caught up in things, they were totally missing the fullness of what God was doing. They only were looking for a literal kingdom that were overthrow the Roman rule that they were under. So they had some power, but it was tied to Roman rule. And many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were actually, quote unquote, in bed with the Roman rule to 
actually to treat the Israelite people bad so that they could be blessed. So they really didn't care about the kingdom of God. But when Jesus comes preaching it, they knew the scriptures. So they had to act like they cared. So they were like, okay, you talking about this kingdom stuff. Tell us when the kingdom of God is going to come. One of the reasons why they wanted him to do that is because they could go and run to uh, Herod at the time and say, hey, there's this guy here proclaiming that he's king. Go tell Caesar and then snuff him out and then in the process, you know, pay us a little money. So, so it was a whole lot of craziness going on. So when they were demanding the kingdom of God, they really didn't want to know. They were just trying to trap Jesus up, which they always did. But Jesus wasn't saying what he was saying for the benefit of them. It was for those other people he was trying to benefit. And look at what he says in verse 21. Neither shall they say, look here or lo here or look there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So his answer is, I'm not telling you when the kingdom of God is going to come, but I'm actually going to tell the people who are really listening to me, the people who I'm actually changing. I'm actually going to tell them the kingdom of God is within you and it's come in you through your faith. When you put your faith in me, you actually put your faith in the kingdom and the kingdom grows first in an invisible place. It grows inside of you. And as it grows inside of you, it gets out into the earth and it begins to take over. So the question is, well, when is it going to literally take over? They, they didn't have an answer for it. He didn't give them an answer. But he was telling the people who were believing, it's actually coming in you. We know later on, Jesus, is, he dies, he, uh, he's raised again, and then he ascends. He just leaves. So it seems kind of odd because the goal was for the work to be done in the earth. And so he was like, I did what I was supposed to do. I actually came here and through my death, I became king, but I hid the kingdom inside people. I hid the kingdom inside my disciples, my followers. And then as life goes on, you begin to see that the kingdom of God couldn't be stopped. What many people don't understand is that right around somewhere around 33 AD or so, Jesus is gone. By 70 AD, 40 years after him, Rome has actually taken over Jerusalem. The scene shifted from where they were to the point where they did not grow. They got worse and worse, and then to the point where there was actually a war, and Rome to totally took over uh, Jerusalem to the point where Israel n was no longer a nation. The temple was destroyed. The Jews dispersed all over the world. And so, but Christianity grew. Persecution came, but the church actually grew. It actually got bigger. And now, thousands of years later, we have this great religion that grew out of nothingness because the kingdom wasn't a physical kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom that he hid inside of his people. And what happens is you can't kill a kingdom that's built on faith, faith in Jesus and his work on the cross. You can't kill that kingdom. So Satan kept trying. He kept trying to persecute. And you, you read through Acts and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And now here we are in 2023 still talking about it. Then they compiled these books together came the Bible, one the greatest selling book of all time. So many things happen 
Now, Satan did get a little smarter. Instead of trying to attack from the outside, he changed and started attacking from the inside. Then he started attacking the church from within. So then we see a lot of craziness that starts happening inside the church. But throughout all of that, God's kingdom has still been growing. And so when you forgave that person that you had no business forgiving because you could have went off on them, you actually were advancing the kingdom. When you gave money to the church so that some hungry person would be fed, you were actually advancing the kingdom. And so the beauty is you're not waiting for some heaven. You are building the kingdom now and you will be rewarded. Now, we want some of these rewards to be on this side. We don't need all those rewards over there. But even if we don't get anything until we die, it's okay because we are part of kingdom builders. We're kingdom builders, which is a beautiful thing. Let's uh, look at this uh, premise and point. So basically, there's a higher order versus lower, lower order. There's a higher order of Christianity, and it's the kingdom. It's not just a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship built on a king. We are in relationship with the king. The king happens to be our big brother, and the king's father was the king. And so that makes us part of the kingdom. We are part of the royal family. So that makes it beautiful. So when we live from that higher order of kingdom-minded versus uh, let me just do enough to get to heaven, that's really a lower order. So then we become kingdom-minded versus heavenly-minded. Then here's the major point that we, we kind of uh, laid you with, because this is really the crux of everything I was saying, is rulership versus escape. We're not just trying to escape. Oh, I can't wait till I get to heaven. Well, uh, like when, when we were growing up, there, there came a time where uh, I remember uh, someone had like 88 reasons why the rapture is going to happen in, in 1988. Well, 1988 came and went. The rapture didn't happen, and they were adjusting, okay, why it, was going, why it was wrong, and they were doing calculations, and everything came like, well, God is just going to snatch us out, and we're going to escape, and everything's going to be okay. So at one point, even as a young person, we were told there's no r- real reason or need for you guys to go to college because God is going to come back and he's going to get his church. So no need in you wasting your time with studies or the, no, no need in you like really worried about uh, getting married because they were thinking like God can come back tomorrow. But a kingdom minded person says this, I am going to live like God can come back tomorrow but I'm going to plan like he won't be back for another thousand years. So I'm going to get the education I need because I'm going to be building the kingdom now. I'm going to advance in my career. I am going to find someone I can marry that, that I can do life with and grow the kingdom. I'm not looking to escape. If I escape, okay. But right now, I'm building the kingdom now. I got things I need to do. So some people were teaching that thing. Miles Monroe was one person who taught something different. He said, you need to die empty. Whatever you have, you need to give it. You need to give it over to the kingdom. God has given you gifts and talents. You need to get about it. You need to get about doing it. It's more scriptural to think that way because the scripture says that there's a story, a, a parable, one of the later parables that Jesus told about a man who goes away on a trip. And he's a businessman, and he leaves three different people with these talents. 
One has five, one has two, one has one. Comes back, the one who had five had doubled it, made ten. One had two, doubled it, made four. The one who had one said, I know you are uh, a hard taskmaster, and I was nervous and I was scared, so I hid my talent in the ground. And the scripture says that that uh, master called him a wicked and lazy servant. Said you should have done something with what I gave you. And when you have an escape mentality, you don't do anything with what God has given you. You don't think outside the box. You don't think of doing something that could advance the kingdom. You're just saying, well, I'm just trying to be saved. I'm just trying to make it to heaven. I'm just trying to make it in. I'm not going to wear pants. I'm not going to wear makeup so I can make it in. But have you witnessed to somebody? Have you talked to somebody? Have you shared with someone? Have you told someone about the sermon that you heard? Yeah, I told somebody that, oh, we had a good time. But when they asked you what the preacher preached, I don't know, but it was good. But you're not really paying attention. You're not really giving your life over to it. You, you have an escape mentality. And I'm not saying those people won't make it to heaven, but they won't be used in the kingdom. So our mindset is totally different. Our mindset is, number one, we connect with our creator continually. We're not waiting to heaven to get a hold of God. We're trying to connect with him continually. And in the process of connecting with him continually, we see we got some issues in our life. So we're confessing our deliverance consistently. We're not going to allow the issues that we have to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. So we know we need to be delivered. So we confess we are going to be delivered some way, somehow we're going to be delivered. So we confess it consistently. Hey, I got some struggles, but I'm delivered because I'm not going to quit. And then with that, we don't just say we're delivered and stop. We actually commit to serve creatively. We're actually trying to be creative about serving. And who are we really trying to serve? Not just the people in the church. I know this is a church service, but we're not just trying to serve the people in the church. We're actually trying to get out there and serve. So some of us are on jobs that we'd rather not be on, but we understand it's a service. I was just given uh, my award for being at my job 25 years. Had no idea I'd be there that long. I thought I would be there for a little while. God would move me on, and I start preaching around the country. But God was like, no, I actually want you there. You're still going to preach, and you're still going to do stuff. You're going to write books. You're going to be on the Internet. But I still want you going there every day. It's not necessarily what I wanted, but it's what God wanted for the kingdom. So, okay. I'm committing to serve creatively. And outside of that, I'm on this board. I'm on that board. I'm joining this. I'm not just trying to get my face out there. I'm trying to actually serve. I'm trying to bring the kingdom into these spaces where the kingdom may not be. And especially when somebody asks me and say, hey, there is no pastor on our group, on our board. And we would like to have at least the perspective of the clergy. If I can do it, I'm stepping in because if there is no pastor there and possibly there is no Christian there, I can be a light. I can be there. And one thing I've learned, sometimes I'm on boards and I have no idea what they're talking about. It's going way over my head. And I'm asking God, why am I here? And God says, you're here so you can pray. You don't have to understand everything. I don't want you to understand everything. But the spirit of God is in you. It knows all things. So you just go and sit there, and you be the best board member you can, and then when I tell you to pray, pray. When I prompt you to pray, pray. When I prompt you to do something, do something. I've been on boards, and then once I got there, stuff happened. They were like, man, we've been waiting three, four years, and we never had a breakthrough, and all of a sudden, 
man, things are changing. We're so grateful. We don't know what's going on. And I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on either. And God is like, dummy, I know what's going on. The spirit of God in you has brought the kingdom of God in this situation, and it's making a difference. That's why I want you there. Sometimes we, we want you like when they're going to have the back to Muncie. We want church folk act back to Muncie. I don't want you in here calling a prayer meeting inside the building when all the people are going to be out there. No, go out there. Be the kingdom. That's the major mindset, and that's the major goal. We're not trying to escape. We're actually trying to rule. So having said that, I decided I was going to look up in the dictionary, the actual Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the phrase king of kings. What does it actually mean? It's a monarch having other monarchs under him, such as an earthly sovereign. Then I looked up earthly sovereign and the idea of supreme leader came up. So I added that in parentheses. It wasn't in the Merriam-Webster's dictionary. I added that based on the extra study. So basically, to simplify it, it's a king who has kings under them. For our understanding, it's a king who has kings and queens under them. Another uh, word we'll throw in there because the Bible uses it this way. He says that we are a kingdom of priests. So we're actually kings and queens, but we are a priestly kingdom. We are actually the go-between between God and man. That's what a priest does. So we connect God with the people. And so our, our monarchy is we have a king, and then we have uh, the, the son of God, who is the king as well, and then all of us fall under that. And he has paid the price for everybody. He, he paid for the sins for the whole world. The whole, whole world just doesn't know it. Many times people haven't told them. They told them all the stuff they've done wrong. But we should be the ones that go and make the connection. Hey, I, I understand you're gay, but we believe God loves you. We believe there is a path for you with God. So let me, let me love you. We're being kingly. We're being priestly. We are following our monarch. We're following our supreme leader because when our supreme leader came into earth, he loved. Now, did he correct? Yes, but he always started off with loving. The only people he really correct harsh was the religious people who weren't up to no good. And so that's what we come in. We come to bring the love of God. We come to let people know, man, God loved me when I was unlovable. His love is immeasurable. It's innumerable. His grace is hot in hot pursuit after you. Yes, you've got some issues. You've got some hangups, but I know a delivering God. And so I'm bringing the kingdom to you and telling you, hey, just embrace his love. And when people have been so downtrodden, it takes them a while to even accept his love. So we just keep coming back with his love. And so I stopped with we commit to serve creatively, but I always tell you, it leads up to the final crux of our vision. We communicate Christ's love compassionately. That's our kingdom objective is to take the love of our king and shine it into the lives of people and communicate it in a compassionate way. What's the difference of doing it uncompassionately? Okay. Hey, you big dummy. God loves you. Stop doing the stupid stuff you're doing and come to church. That's not communicating it. Christ love compassionately. Here's communicating Christ love compassionately. Listen, I understand you are the way you are. I don't know how you got the way you are. And that's not my, that's not my job to understand that. But let me tell you who I was. I was hooked on pornography. 
I was hooked on this. I was hooked on that. I shouldn't be a preacher. I sh God shouldn't use me the way he used me, but somehow he loves me. And I just feel like if he can love me, he can love you. I don't think I'm any better than you. I don't think you're any worse than me. I think the same God that loves me probably loves you. And he can probably turn you around like he's turning me around. Oh, yeah, I'm not totally turned around yet. He's taking his time with me. And I don't always get it right. But somehow God is yet loving me. And I think he can love you. That's how you communicate Christ's love compassionately. And when you're doing that, it's very humbling. But in the spirit world, you're standing as a king. You are actually walking as a king because demons are trembling because you're not focused on you. You're focusing on the love of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are showing rulership. What you're doing is you're saying what the cross was about. It was about the establishing of a kingdom, but it showed us that his kingdom is established with love and sacrifice and all the junk that you have in your life past, present, and the future, God actually took it to the cross, nailed it to the cross, paid for it with his own blood. So really, there's no reason why you shouldn't be in the kingdom. So I'm bringing the kingdom to you. That is the gospel. That's the true gospel. And so after that, I went into this verse, Isaiah 32, I went and uh, did uh, this chapter may not get through all of it because I took so much time setting that up, but I wanted you to feel the passion of what I'm sharing, that we are actually right now participating in the kingdom. The kingdom started with the birth of Jesus because that's what a king comes. A king comes by birth, started with his birth. But in order to get the kingdom in us, he actually sacrificed and died. And then the Bible says, Jesus told them, he said, the reason why I'm going is so I can send you the comforter will come in my name and he will show you all things. He will lead you and guide you in all truth. And so the spirit of God comes in us and then the kingdom comes in us. And now we're establishing the kingdom. I'll, I'll say it a, another way that the scripture says it to just so you know that I'm not saying anything new and revelatory, even though it sounds revelatory, it's really nothing new. So when we say the kingdom is in us, it's in us through, that, through the spirit of God is in us. And so the Bible says that the spirit of God works out fruit. It's called the fruit of the spirit. And so when that works out in us and we are becoming those things, we are establishing the kingdom. So what does the kingdom look like? It looks like righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. What does the Holy Ghost bring? It brings love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gent goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith. And the scripture says, against such, there is no law. You don't need a law when you operate in the fruit of the spirit. Now, because we deal with the flesh, we don't always get the fruit of the spirit right. But as we grow, we should be producing more fruit. And the Bible says, you know, a tree by the fruit it produces. So you can't tell me you're kingdom minded and you don't produce any kingdom fruit. You can't tell me you're kingdom minded. And all you do is sit up and gossip all day long about any and everybody. I don't care how much you speak in tongues, you are not establishing the kingdom because the kingdom is all about love. Love seen as joy, love seen as peace, love seen as all these things that we see in the fruit of the spirit. So that's that's the whole idea and why we keep uh, going back to the drawing board and why we keep coming before the Lord and why we keep trying to humble ourselves because we're trying to establish the kingdom and the it's a different kingdom, but it's a kingdom that is going to take over the world. 
into the kingdom, that is going to be the only thing that actually lasts. So going uh, back to the scripture, Isaiah 32 in the New Living Translation, we could really just make this the, the focus and make this the uh, confirmation of everything I've been saying. Look, a righteous king is coming and honest princes will rule under him. That's it in the nutshell. That's the whole story of this King of Kings lesson. A righteous king is coming. Now here in this passage, Jesus, the Messiah, had not shown up yet. This passage was twofold. It was speaking of it, which a lot of uh, these, those prophecies in the uh, Old Testament were twofold. They were speaking of literal things as well as prophetic future things and grander things. So it was actually speaking of Hezekiah, the king that was going to come, and he was actually going to change the way uh, Israel worshipped. Um, if my calculations are correct, out of all the kings, both of Israel and Judah, there were only eight total that were called good kings by God. Hezekiah was one of the best of the best because he tore down all the other worship idols to the other uh, gods, what they call the Asherahs, and you can, you can study that for themselves. So Isaiah was prophesying into that time because Isaiah ended up being in the time of Hezekiah, but then it was prophesying of Jesus, the Messiah, who was the righteous king that was going to come. But there is a third uh, prophetic voice in this same verse. So Jesus had a first coming, and the first coming was to initiate the kingdom. But the Bible talks about a second coming. The second coming is actually where there is the final rule and reign. So when we went to uh, Revelation 19, the beginning of the study, we see that it talks about coming on a white horse and riding in a white horse and ruling the nations and nationalities. That's when God sets up his literal kingdom. His literal kingdom is not going to be in heaven. It actually will be on earth. It will be established and it will be run from Jerusalem. Now, the Bible says it's a new Jerusalem, so I don't know what that looks like. But so it was speaking of initially Hezekiah, then it was speaking of the very first time Jesus came, but it speaks of him coming again. And so when he comes again, who are the honest princes that will rule under him? It is us, the us's who have become under him during the time of still fighting with the devil. But the devil is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. He is going, it will be no more issue with him. So who is going to rule? We are, are going to be the ones that rule with him. So the question we have to ask ourselves, what actually is being ruled? Is there something that still needs to be ruled? And so that gets into a deeper question. Of, so what is that going to look like? What is, if Satan is no longer the issue, are we, what are we ruling? And like I said, like what my uh, cousin shared, there are people who didn't live up to everything that they, they should live up to on earth. And who would they be looking to, to, to help them enjoy the benefits and grow into this kingdom? They're going to be looking to us because we are the ones that are going to be ruling and reigning with God. 
So don't think, uh, one of the things that people are bothered by, they're like, okay, you got a guy who cheats on his wife all his life. And then the last week of his life, he gets saved and he goes to heaven like I go to heaven. And I was faithful. That don't seem fair. Well, God paid the price for everyone to make it to heaven. But don't assume that he is going to have the same rulership that a person who, who has given their all to the Lord. It, it won't be the same. Now, the Bible talks about, about people making it in and uh, um, how God will call people in. There's a parable about that. But what we're talking about is the rulership and the reigning of the new heaven and the new earth. Everybody is not going to be on the same level. So what you're doing now is vitally important. But the beautiful thing is we're not doing it for a reward. We're actually doing it because it's the thing that keeps us sane. Being in his kingdom is the thing that helps me. When I'm preaching the word of God, it helps me. When I was preaching after losing my father, the words that I was preaching were actually saving me and delivering me. I was trying to lead the church, but I was being helped. So God is going to bless me and reward me for standing through the fire and doing it, but actually doing it was helping me. And so we are in a win-win situation when we function in this. If you mess up, I implore you, don't quit. Just get up, get back, because God wants to use you in the kingdom. And we don't want to miss out. We don't want the devil to trick us and make us feel like, oh, I just can't do it. I got this sexual hangup. I got this cussing hangup. I got this drinking hangup. God is not tripping off all that. Just yield yourself to him and keep yielding yourself to the kingdom and let the spirit work in you. Now, if God gets to whooping you, just take it. Don't go running and don't try to run away and do your thing. No, just take the whooping because it's uh, the chastisement. It only lasts for a moment. But the favor that God brings, it lasts for a lifetime. If you have to, if God schedules suffering in your life, when you haven't done anything wrong, you're not being chastised. You just got to go through some suffering. If God schedules that in your life, just take it because it'll be worth it in the end. Paul said that the, he calls it these light and momentary afflictions are not worth the far exceeding weight of glory that shall be revealed in us later. Everybody's not going to carry that same glory. How do we know that? Because the Bible talks about it later as well. It says something about uh, how different celestial beings have different levels of glory. Like one star has this type of glory. Another star has another type of glory. In other words, one is much brighter than the other. So what you've gone through now, if you bear through it and give God your all now, the level of glory that you carry is going to be different than someone else. Now, when you're there, everybody's just going to be happy that, that they're able to be with God. But there are going to be some that are going to be happier because they advance even further. Uh, one scripture says this. It says, there's weeping and gnashing outside the kingdom. It doesn't say in hell. It actually says outside the kingdom. In other words, there are going to be some regret outside of the kingdom because there are going to be people that realize I could have been in the kingdom and I missed out on it. Why? Because I let what my ex-husband did. I let that stop me. Yeah, I still believed in God, so I made it to heaven. But I didn't have the access to the kingdom that Ella did. Man, I wish 
I would have given my life more over to it. I wish I would have let some of that bitterness die and been this because there's going to be some regret in the kingdom. And so what we're, we're pressing for the kingdom, we're pressing for that deeper level. Another example I've used before to me that is a really, really good example that will help us understand. And l- l- let me use this idea because it's, it's been out there lately. So Beyonce has this new concert. I've never been a real Beyonce fan, but I'm going to use this as a, a good parable or a good example and metaphor. So she has this uh, concert, and let's say it's going to be filled with Beyonce fans, filled to the brim. Some of the fans are going to be in the nosebleed section. They're going to be, they're going to be in the concert. They're going to see it. But most of the time, they're going to be looking at the screens in the stadium because they're going to be so far that they actually can't see the performer. But, hey, they're going to be there. So they're going to be able to say, hey, I was at the concert. But they know they're going to be way up top. Then there are other people who are going to be front row. I got front row seats. Their experience is going to be entirely different. They're going to see it different because they're going to be so much closer. And then there are going to be those people who have backstage passes. So if you are an extreme fan and it was free to choose, if, you, if it was free to choose and you choose the nosebleed seats, well, you know what? My dress ain't that great, so I'm going to go to the nosebleed seats. I'm just glad I made it in. Somebody's going to say, you are a fool. Who cares about your dress? You could actually have ex, uh, backstage passes. It's free. Well, here's the point I'm making. Salvation is free. But some people have chosen the nosebleed seats. They're not pressing into the kingdom. Some people are in the front row. But let me tell you what, I want to be in backstage pass. I, I want to be all up in God's face. I, I want to know the details. I, I, I want to know how he put the world together. The Bible says it was by the word of his mouth. But maybe I get to see how it was done. So I'm pressing in the kingdom now because I want everything that God can offer, and it's all free. Now, yes, it takes a little effort, but at the end of the day, it's free. So that's the mindset that we're going with. I didn't do any of the rest of Isaiah 32. Go back and pick up Sunday sermon for that. I just want to finish it with this verse and close with this. Look, a righteous king is coming. So now I'm thinking about the second coming, which is the final coming, and honest princes will rule under him. Are you going to be one of those people who will rule under him? Because the king of kings is a monarch with monarchs under him. I want to be one of those kings and queens that are under the master. All right. Having said that, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious heavenly father, as you've caused me to share and even give more depth to what I'm saying, there's a brand new level that we can get to. And even as we've seen in the Asbury Revival and these young students who are hungry for the Lord and how a pocket of power was seen and people were traveling to get there, but the revival was shut down because ultimately you don't want just a hot spot in one area. You want the whole earth to be filled with your glory. And God, we want to be the people that bring in your glory. We want to be one of the kings and queens under you. So help us to be the type of ministry that we need to be 
that advances the kingdom and that you, when you come back for a church without spot or wrinkle, we can be part of your bride that has established the kingdom. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, I just say to you, God bless you. Have a great week. Be kingdom-minded in all you think and do. We give you God praise for all that he has done in his kingdom. All right, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. Remember to give if you can give. Remember to pray for the ministry. Remember to pray for each other. Remember to give God more and more of your time. Amen. God bless you.